Hello, coming to you from New York City, this is Disaster Politics, the podcast that explores the intersection of policy and legislation with disaster preparedness, response, and recovery. I'm your host, Jeff Slegamelch. joining us here today on Disaster Politics Podcast. Today we get into a really great conversation with Emily Jane Zahredin, the CEO of Golden Hour Consulting and also who's leading up some innovation hubs with the the, uh, EMGI. That's the Emergency Management Growth Initiative. It brings up some really, really great questions, you know, as we talk about kind of what what brings people to emergency management, but also how the definitions that we've been using up until now might not fully capture the new complexities and this whole community approach that that has been a deeper part of emergency management even before the pandemic, but has made that much more so with the kinds of challenges and also opportunities for evolution in the field uh, that we're seeing with all of the information as a result of it. So uh, I hope you enjoy the discussion as much as I did. I think it's truly fascinating. Really grateful to Emily Jane for, for stopping by and engaging in this conversation. But without further ado, sit back, relax, and we'll see you on the other side. So joining me today is Emily Jane Zahredin. She's the CEO of Golden Hour Consulting, and she's cultivated her expertise in emergency management in a lot of really interesting areas, working with the U.S. House of Representatives, the Department of Homeland Security, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, as well as local government. Uh, She has her certifications in the Homeland Security Exercise and Evaluation Program and uh, is is a certified emergency manager as well. She's completed her Master's of Public Administration with a concentration in emergency management from George Mason University, as well as a Master of Arts in Homeland Security and National Defense from the Naval Postgraduate School. Uh, And in addition to all of this, she's also working on some really cool innovation hubs with the Emergency Management Growth Initiative that we'll definitely spend some time talking about today. But in the meantime, Emily Jane, thank you so much for joining today. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, Well, I'm I'm sure my intro hasn't done justice, and I'd love to hear more uh, before we really dive on into this, just how you kind of came to find yourself in emergency management, and what are some of the things that, you know, throughout uh, the years you found surprising, challenging, you wish you could forget, (laughs) whatever, whatever's relevant. Absolutely. So this is one of my favorite questions because everybody who comes into emergency management has a pretty unique path that they took to get here. Um, And so I always love hearing the different stories. So my story is is unique, but not necessarily as exciting or, if you will, sexy as some other parts of um, the Homeland Security and emergency management space. Um, I always knew that I wanted to help people. Um, That was always sort of part of my fabric. Um, I knew that I wasn't cut out to be a nurse or a firefighter or a soldier. Um, I wasn't cut out to be on the front lines, but I wanted to be as close as I could. And I wanted to be helping those people as much as I could be. So my uh, first professional job was at the USO, uh, which is a military support nonprofit. Um, And I worked there and someone you know, in the other duties as assigned category where so much of emergency management lives, um, someone tossed me an assignment that was develop an emergency operations plan for each one of our 13 locations. 
Well, each location was on a different military installation, often run by different branches. So we had some Navy, we had Marine Corps, we had Army. Everyone had different rules, regulations, different ways of doing things. But my goal was still to provide a plan and direction and guidance for the staff at the facilities, as well as the guests to evacuate, to stay safe, to know what to do when there was a tornado warning versus a tornado watch. Um, and so when I got sort of thrown that project, that's when it all clicked for me. I knew that I had been exposed to something that would let me use the best parts of my skill sets, right? Organization, planning, leadership, and ultimately, above all of those things, helping the people who are helping those in need. Um, that is really the perspective that I take as an emergency manager to what I try and do on a daily basis in this field. Um, it's what pulled me here and it is consistently what I hear from others when I get to ask them this question. Oh, that's wonderful. I appreciate uh, that. Uh, and also just certainly acknowledge as well that, you know, everyone kind of takes a different path, but uh, the same general uh, orientation uh, in helping others. So, so really appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I'm curious your thoughts as well, too. I'd be remiss if we didn't uh, say a few words about the, the pandemic and um, how dramatically it's impacted this field and, and those of us working in the field. Uh, and I'm curious sort of where we're at in the pandemic, the, the prior year looking ahead um, at what's next, but um, how you feel that may have really, um, what effect has that had on your thinking uh, about the field of emergency management? That's a great question. Um, I think emergency management is more essential to whole community recovery than ever before. Our role as emergency managers is being seen in a new light, or at least I hope it is. I think that there are so many uses for our profession, uses that extend beyond our traditional conception of what an emergency is. And the pandemic has validated a lot of my thoughts on this and about the future of the field. I have long believed that there is a great need to incorporate non-traditional stakeholders into mm -hmm. incident response operations. And when I say non-traditional stakeholders, I mean everyone who is not a first responder. So, so human services or social service department, transportation, infrastructure, all of those groups who are not trained and are not um, necessarily proficient in how emergency managers run the show. And when I say that, I mean NIMS, the National Incident Management System, um, the Incident Command System, as well as just how an emergency operations center, or also known as an EOC, how those groups run. And so what we've seen during COVID is there are there's the potential for massive emergencies that are different than the traditional threats and hazards we'd faced, mm -hmm. like those that have come out of 9-11, right? The traditional, uh, traditional is sort of the wrong term, but um, right. sort of the, the threats and hazards we've been building towards for the last 20 years yep. came out of the after action report from the 9-11 commission, right? And so what I'm saying is, I think COVID is another equally sub substantial, equi equally pivotal role or equally pivotal situation. Um, and so what I really think or an example of this is the CARES money. So Congress passed legislation, FEMA is doling out money to local governments to um, de-densify or depopulate 
congregate care facilities. So homeless shelters, um, other communities, residential communities um, that receive government support um, for those who cannot live on their own or need additional assistance. So this money that's being provided um, and has been provided since almost the start of COVID is essentially rehousing significant portions of the homeless population across the country. So regardless of your individual or any individual's thoughts on this, this is a role that is outside of the traditional emergency management space. And in many jurisdictions, at least the ones that I've talked to, which is a variety of them, um, these operations are being run by human services departments. And so we have this group of people who are there to help and they are doing their best by supporting these facilities for COVID uh, vulnerable or COVID at risk persons. But do they fall under the National Incident Management System? Do they fall under an emergency operations center type structure? Or should they operate outside of it? Mm -hmm. I would advocate very aggressively, um, maybe not aggressively, I take that back. I would argue uh, very passionately that this is exactly what emergency managers should be doing. They are expanding, they are supporting the role of helping everyone get back to zero or get back to normal, um, even though they're not traditional first responders. And so from this perspective, I see that as we look ahead past COVID, there's a great need to extend our training efforts, our recruitment efforts, our um, even just the understanding of what we do far beyond just the traditional first responders and just those of us who are obsessed with disasters. Um, there's a great pool that we can pull from um, as far as recruiting is concerned. And I just don't think we're maximizing that yet. Yeah, I mean, so much to unpack there and all. I, I mean, I, I love it, right? Just on, on this, this notion of whole community that's been kind of branded and talked about but how much it's been actualized over these years and how much the pandemic has sort of changed the way and the context in which the mission needs to be accomplished. Uh, and I couldn't agree more as well too that you know these deep roots of emergency management in the first responder world are, are only part of that whole community approach and part and only a small section of the, uh, the resources, right? Within a community, as you mentioned, human service, a lot of nonprofits, even for-profit businesses. You know, this segues nicely too, as well, into some of the work you're doing with the Emergency Management Growth Initiative, and in particular, these uh, innovation hubs. Um, and I always love to when we get from being able to, you know, not just articulate the challenge, but also look at, okay, what do we do about it? Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's figure things out. Um, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit more about uh, the EMGI, the Emergency Management Growth Initiative, and in particular, um, the work you're leading on the innovation hubs. Certainly. Uh, I joined EMGI um, last fall. The organization is about a year old. It was founded by Lorraine Schneider, who is currently the global crisis manager for Disney. Um, under her leadership, um, EMGI has set the mission to make the field and the profession of emergency management more visible and accessible through knowledge sharing, advocacy, and partnership building. So uh, this program, or the, the EMGI organization, as I said before, is, is very young. There are a variety of initiatives that the organization is undertaking right now. The one that I'm involved in is innovation hubs. So our goal for the innovation hubs is to craft the most diverse and inclusive definition of emergency management to lead effectively through the next 10 years of growth and development. 
And while creating a diverse and inclusive definition, we want to, in that definition, help the general public better understand what we do, why we're here, and who we are. And so the reason we got to this question or the question of what is an emergency manager or what should an emergency manager be doing, um, we really looked through sort of some of the history of emergency management. And that's how I got to it was I wanted to be very clear when talking with people about what I did. And so there's a little bit of a personal element of this. I recently moved from Washington, D.C. to Denver. Um, and so now I'm telling all these people about what I do and I'm outside the beltway. Um, I'm in this sort of regular world outside of the DC uh, bubble and I'm trying to explain what I do and nobody really gets it. Yes, I work with police officers and firefighters, but I also work with the public. Um, but sometimes I work with the military, but either way, if you have an emergency, I'm probably not gonna be on the scene, but I'm gonna be helping the people who are helping you. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to find a better way to, to communicate that to people. And so I went on a hunt to look for the official definition of emergency management. And the last official definition that I was able to find was developed in 2006. Mm -hmm. And since then, even since the start of COVID, there have been dramatic changes that have shaped the field. And so not only is an emergency manager responsible for supporting law enforcement and the fire service in their operations, but the roles and responsibilities have grown beyond traditional first responders as the primary stakeholders. Mm -hmm. A prime example of this is simply COVID, right? We didn't, during response operations for COVID, we're not using the fire department. We're not using law enforcement in the way that we would for a scenario where a bomb went off or something similar to that. So that's really why this question came about. Um, and why it had been sort of floating around in conversations with Lorraine and I and other people in the organization of sort of how do we do this? Because how can we make things more inclusive if we don't all have a definition we agree on? Yeah, a, a, a colleague of mine, Mark Burtis, was on an earlier episode of the podcast uh, a couple of years ago. And I remember he had a very memorable quote where he said, uh, my boss um, only knows what I do when I screw up. <laughs> and exactly. Was, yeah. That is exactly it. And so what we did or what I did was define um, a four week program. So we're meeting for a total of eight hours. There are about 15 of us. Um, we're meeting for two hours every week. Um, and what we've done is modeled these sessions after a traditional, when I say traditional, I mean, innovate, the concept of innovation hubs is fairly recent. So traditional maybe in the last 10 years, sort of a context, um, but we really wanted to focus on the four phases of innovation, which is discovery, creation, development, and refinement. And so we've had our first two sessions. Um, we've focused on discovery and creation. Um, and so what we have learned from that or, or pulled as far as data out of the participants is that there are three sort of major things that emergency managers do. And those things are integrated risk management planning. So we are planning for risks and then incorporating those risk mitigation measures into our daily operations. We are experienced problem solvers 
and we are pretty good project managers. And we do all of these things in steady state or blue sky situations. But then there's an additional skill that emergency managers have that is as the temperature in the room goes up, as the intensity goes up, as the urgency to protect life safety goes up, emergency managers settle. They can calm down, they can manage the intensity of the situation, the emotion of the situation. At many times when the responders themselves, either first responders or emergency managers, their families, their well-being, their community is being impacted very in a very significant negative way. They still come to work and can put that all aside emotionally and really focus in on what needs to happen to really help the community respond and recover. You know, it's really, I, I think it's really helpful to kind of break down and help folks sort of understand, you know, what is it that they're doing and what are these different phases? Um, so what are what are some of the things? I, I know you've mentioned that it's a, a fairly new concept. I'm curious if there are any aha moments that have come out of the process so far or um, any sort of key lessons learned or, or anything um, you can share with us today? Yeah, absolutely. Um... One of the first things that I'd like to share is that this work could not have been done without the pandemic. Mm. We could not have gotten together the money or the time we needed to get such a diverse group of emergency managers all in one room. So we have, as I said before, between around 15 to 18 participants from all across the world. We have someone in London participating. We have people from Canada participating. We have um, a spectrum of emergency managers that goes from aspiring emergency managers, people who have had maybe internships or their first job in the field, to people who have managed 25 federal disasters, who have PhDs, who run entire programs for either corporations or uh, local government jurisdictions. So this group of people and the complexity of the conversation that we're having simply couldn't exist or come to be without the pandemic. We wouldn't have gotten the buy-in from all of these really valuable people in the field who are very busy to come and contribute to this if we had to coax them to get on an airplane and fly to LA or DC or, or somewhere to spend a few days in a conference room. So that's something that I'm really grateful for, for from this sort of situation that we're in. Absolutely. But, and I'm sorry, I just wanted to, to clarify. So, uh, and obviously, yeah, there's been a lot of I guess silver linings, right? New ways of looking things, new opportunities. You mentioned the pandemic really facilitating this. Is it more of a, a just normalization of the virtual convening, being able to just make it more convenient where meeting with someone overseas takes an hour now rather than uh, three days of travel <laughs> plus the hour? Um, or is it the organizational, just uh, the buy-in, the fact that we need to think different, just really catalyze that or some sort of combination or something else entirely? I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but uh, that's, um, I, is it maybe a combination of things? I think it is very much a combination of things. I think um, people are far more comfortable communicating on a virtual platform. Sure. Um, I think that, you know, 15 or 18 months ago, you would have had certain populations that were, but maybe not the entire spectrum of the participants we we would like to have for a program like this. Um, it's something that has really 
blossomed in an interesting way. So for the program, not to be too technical, but we use Microsoft Teams. Mm -hmm. So while I'm, you know, I have all the participants on the screen, I'm having, I'm facilitating a conversation with them and we're having a verbal conversation, but then there's two or three other participants who maybe don't get a chance to speak because our verbal conversation is flowing quickly. Well, they're in the chat chatting mm -hmm. each other. So there are multiple conversations that are going on at once. And I just don't, it is so efficient to use some of these tools. I don't know if I could give the participants as much sort of bang for their buck. If I was, if I said to them, well, you guys all have to fly to LA and we have to sit in a conference room for three days. Yeah. So yeah. there's a really dynamic element of participation, which has been incredibly interesting to watch. Yeah. Not, not to, get off on too much of a tangent, but I was teaching a class last fall and we use a similar, we use Zoom at Columbia, but there's lots of, you know, similar functionalities across different platforms. And um, uh, we had, the course I taught has a lot of guest speakers and I found folks using the chat. And I used to always say, it's like a, it's like a way to politely talk during the movie. People were riffing off of something that was said and then sharing a resource and saying, I read an article similar to that. And it enriched the experience in ways, although we lost some of the in-person, there was a new channel for communicating in parallel with what was going on that was uh, 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 surprisingly valuable. Um, I, I guess I should say it was unexpected that that would add the level of value. In retrospect, it's obvious, but it, it took me aside. So it's interesting to hear that here too. Um, but I'm sorry, I blunted your momentum in talking about the innovation hubs and some of the some of the lessons learned. So please, I'll, I'll, I'll let you continue. Absolutely. So uh, earlier I talked about how we were able to identify that there is a administrative function essentially that emergency managers play and, and need to be very skilled at, which is project management and problem solving. Um, mm -hmm those were really the two main sort of tasks that we pulled up as being essential. In addition to the maybe psychological or emotional ability to sort of have ice run through your veins, even though the rest of the building you're in is on fire type of a situation, right? So there's that emotional, personal element to it, but then there is the sort of more nuts and bolts project management. What I thought or what I found that was really, really interesting to me was how universal this was between different sectors of emergency management. So one of the questions that I posed to the group was, what do you think an emergency manager in another sector does that you also do? And so we had we have people in the program who we have a, an emergency manager from a very large school system. We have state level emergency managers. We have some from FEMA. We have Red Cross representatives. And so they all sort of spoke together in small groups about, well, hey, I work for the Red Cross. What do I think aviation emergency management is like? Mm -hmm. And what do they do that I also do? And there are a lot of sort of auxiliary or add-on duties, as I referenced before, the other duties as assigned category, which is pretty much where everyone in emergency management's job description lives, is under, tucked under that little section. But um, we were able to really sort through some assumptions we had about each other, both positive and negative, some biases we had about each other, um, and really understand how consistently and how, how much across the board 
there are so many extra responsibilities that are put on emergency managers. Mm -hmm. So the similarity between aviation emergency management and public school emergency management is vastly different, but in so many ways, vastly similar. So for the next two weeks for the innovation hub, since we've done the discovery and creation sections, we are focusing on development and refinement. So we're sort of taking all the data that we've gathered, all the discussion, all of the notes that have been taken. It's being sort of processed by me and the other planning team members. And then it's going to be sort of represented in a efficient sort of, I don't want to say summary, but we are going to highlight sort of the major themes and trends. In addition to what I've talked to you guys about today, um, we're going to sort of highlight all of that give it back to them to process and then sort of see as a group what they come up with for a new definition for emergency management. Now, as I referenced earlier, there was a definition developed in 2006. I'm not saying throw that out the window at all. I'm just saying, let's have a conversation and see if this is the best definition that we can use. Let's see if this is the best thing we've got. And if it's not, let's see what we can come up with. My objective or goal for the initiative is not to come out with a one or two sentence definition at the end. It's to get a really good sense of sort of where we as a field are in our conception of our, our own understanding. That sounds like really, really incredibly important, especially in a field that's evolved so much over the last uh, two decades. Um, really, you know, and, and as a field and a field, uh, certainly a field of science is relatively young compared to, you know, mathematics and, you know, some of the things that going way back. Um, and so, uh, um, yeah, sometimes it feels like time moves slow and then you zoom out and you realize it's moving so incredibly fast and things have changed so much. Um, what, what do you see as uh, the next steps and broadening the impact? I know that some, there, there'll be these great um, sort of fresh look at the definition and um, uh, what, what's, the, what's the long game for you with the innovation hubs and where you hope that'll lead? Yeah, so I think the innovation hub project is one that will absolutely be run in the future. I don't know if we will run the same question or if we'll focus on a different area of emergency management. But as far as this iteration of the innovation hubs, I want to develop a common operating picture. I want to put a stake in the ground that others in emergency management or in adjacent fields can use to help describe themselves better. I want to use this as a recruitment tool. I want the um, director of social services for Denver, Colorado, or, or any jurisdiction to think of themselves as an emergency manager. Because yes, they have their day-to-day -day responsibilities, missions, objectives, goals. But when a crisis or an emergency happens, they roll into the National Incident Management System. They roll into an emergency operations center, regardless if they're in a room, of, you know, a physical room or a virtual room, or if they're just responding on their own within their organization, there is a great opportunity to incorporate the theory and doctrine and sort of policy that emergency management has formed over the last 20 years. And so I want people to see themselves as emergency managers more, and I want those people to then have the resources to understand how they can integrate better into response operations and recovery operations to support their own community.
Absolutely. No, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing the next steps and, and hearing the results. And I think it's just a, such an important conversation to be having with the field. Um, you know, looking even beyond the innovation hubs with what we're seeing with the pandemic, with the growth of these past years and, and all of these, these great insights coming from your work, um, what do you see long-term as the trajectory of the field? What are, what are some of the exciting opportunities, maybe some of the challenges we see, but uh, where are we going? So I like to really work in the negative space, not that I am a negative person or that I'm being negative, but as a crisis or emergency manager, I don't get a lot of sleep. I lose a lot of sleep worrying about things. And so one of the things that I worry about the most is cyber attacks against critical infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And the fact that 90% of critical infrastructure in the United States is privately owned and operated. And there are very few requirements on the cyber systems that operate critical infrastructure. The first one I believe was really start, excuse me, I read an article about it uh, earlier today. The Department of Homeland Security is releasing cyber security guidelines for pipeline security, but we need that across our entire critical mm -hmm. infrastructure. Um, and we need that like last week. Chris Krebs, who was the former CISA director uh, as part of the Department of Homeland Security made a statement in the last few days saying, this is only the beginning. And I'm paraphrasing here. This is only the beginning, but we will see other cyber attacks that have the same level of impact as the pandemic had. And he's not wrong. Yeah. Um, there is a, a huge vulnerability in that area. And so what I hope, my sort of personal and professional objective for the innovation hubs is to get more people, including those who work in critical infrastructure and who protect pipelines and power system and water and wastewater treatment systems, is to have all of those people who work on keeping those systems safe see themselves as emergency managers. Uh, a good friend of mine, Darren Hansen, um, he is a critical infrastructure program manager for the state of North Dakota. Uh, he just produced a thesis from the Naval Postgraduate School that is absolutely outstanding. It is award-winning. Um, and he really addressed how you can help cyber incident responders work within the National Incident Management System and whether or not that's a good idea or not mm -hmm. and how that would look. And so when I think about the future of emergency management, and if when I think about trying to stay current in this field as a practitioner and a professional, I want to know exactly what's going on with all of the unregulated infrastructure in the United States and what that looks like and really where we're going with it. I'm hopeful because Homeland Security, the Department of Homeland Security just released uh, regulations on this in the last few days that the Biden administration will take this very seriously. Um, I think they will. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to see sort of what comes out of that. In addition, we have Deanne Criswell, who's the new FEMA administrator recently from New York City Emergency Management. Um, she is a trailblazer in our field. She does excellent work. She's incredible to watch. I've had the privilege of being able to watch her lead her team on a few occasions. Um, and I think in so many ways, the work that she's going to do at FEMA is really going to revolutionize the field. And so I don't know what that work is, um, but I'm really, really excited to see how emergency management grows in the next few years and how we grow as a bigger tent, because I think we are a big tent field. We've got a lot of adjacent 
partners. And I personally would like them to see themselves a little bit more as emergency managers because they do important work. They help people usually on some of the worst days of their lives. Um, and they really get to give back to their communities. And so that's really ultimately my end goal. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to say that we're, we're done innovating. We can just coast for a few generations now. <laughs> but uh, no, absolutely. I think cyber is really, really cropping up and, and interesting to see the cascading impacts of, uh, you know, the colonial pipeline and the buying behavior, uh, uh, creating the energy shortages, uh, kind of creating outsized impacts, which we see analogs with the pandemic early on and, and hoarding behaviors with everything from toilet paper to hand sanitizer. So, uh, so a lot to learn from and a lot of that infrastructure, as you said, is, is outside of the agency um, reach uh, of government working with government. Um, so bringing in that private sector and bringing in individuals in different new and unique ways. So, but like you said, it, it all creates exciting opportunities. There, there are challenges for sure. But you know, with, with things like the innovation hubs and a lot of folks like yourself working towards that, I know that it, it, it turns the challenge into an opportunity to do more and do better. Um, so, so with that, you know, how can people hear more about your work as, as, as this comes out? How can they, how can they follow you and, uh, and kind of keep, keep tabs on, uh, on what's going on and what innovations you're, you're a part of? Absolutely. Um, the best way to learn about the innovation hubs is to go to the emergency management growth initiative website. That's where we're keeping all the information um, that is currently public or finalized. And as we process through and complete the innovation hubs, we'll be releasing some white papers, potentially an article, um, other information like that on the EMGI website. To I'll find to I'm sorry, I'll, I'll link to that in the podcast description as well. So folks can click to it. Okay, great. Um, to find me, um, you can find me at goldenhourconsultingllc.com um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, Emily Jane, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, really exciting conversations. Looking forward to, uh, you know, keeping the conversation going and, and hearing more about the work. But in the meantime, just really grateful for all the work that you're doing and for uh, uh, giving up some of your time to uh, talk with us here today. Jeff, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, another episode of Disaster Politics Podcast on the books. Thank you so much to Emily Jane Zahredin for stopping by and for really just sharing some incredible insights and some incredible work being done to think about and really reflect on what we're learning with these increasing challenges we're facing in the field, but also what opportunities and what future directions um, this may hold for all of us. So special thanks, not only for the conversation, but all the work being done to help illuminate that pathway ahead. If you like what we're doing here on Disaster Politics Podcast, let's keep the conversation going on Twitter. We're at Disaster Politic. Uh, like us, uh, leave a comment in the iTunes store, wherever you download fine podcasts. If you want to send us a message, we're at disasterpoliticspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, whatever you're doing out there, however you're getting through this pandemic, we're grateful for all the work that you do. And whatever it is, stay safe out there.